This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. podcast the podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments nearly had a blank moment myself there um with some well-known people uh, i'm jim daly and joining me via the magic buyer via the magic of zoom uh it's the one and only giles pelly phillips hello to you sir hello to you sir it is magic isn't it technology sometimes it's uh it's, it's definitely made it's definitely made our lives easier with uh with doing this pod um and yeah, actually, if you if you were from the thirties, the nineteen thirties, well, no, let's go back a hundred years, nineteen twenties, which which they called the twenties. So what are we going to call the the current twenties? Hmm, that's a thought for another pod. The twenty twenties. The twenty twenties. Yeah, okay, let's go with that. And you saw people recording a podcast now over Zoom. It would blow your mind. Mm. Yeah, it would. I mean, I sometimes think like what my. Like my parents were like obviously no longer with us, but I was uh, particularly my dad. He would not have coped with technology of this sort. It is mad. It has yeah. and it has come a long way in a short time as well. Yeah, ha- massively. Well, fair enough. Last week's pod was with Kaylee Page Reese, and she talked about the social dilemma. Mm. And I watched it last night. And and I. Oh, is this why you've taken a week off Twitter? No, no. I I've taken some time off Twitter because there's few people have been a bit horrible oh really uh, really yeah yeah what's you yeah no what why um just a few snidey comments and just yeah just generally just a bit and i thought you know what i, I was thinking i need to have a little break from these things anyway because uh, i think it's good once in a while to have a little break yeah. and it just yeah just gave you compelled me to do it more quickly yeah. yeah so i think i think it's good for us and actually i haven't watched that documentary I think we do all need to have breaks from from social media in particular. Although mm. I'd say actually, out of all of them, Twitter probably comes out the best in regards to not 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 necessarily for mental health, yeah. but with regards to the sort of more uh, underlying messages and sinister monetary gains mm. that can be bought from the other ones like Facebook in particular. But it's funny we were saying about the magic because they they alluded to, to social media being like magic tricks and that you know these the, the mm. companies are the magicians and we are the, being mm. fooled by them mm, i can believe that i did i mm. did watch the first few minutes of that but then i got um distracted but i will try and watch the rest of it because uh i think i'd find it very interesting i can i don't understand people um being uh trolling on the internet like uh, certainly someone like you who puts out constantly like positive messages like me I kind of would understand because I do put out jokey, like sarcastic stuff quite a lot. So I think that does open you up, open you up to people having a pop back, and that I understand. But you're just so constantly positive on there. I can't understand why someone would take offence to that. I think I think it's it says a lot more about 
the people that troll and sort of maybe the place they're in or the dark nature of you know whatever they're going through that mm. they would find that offensive and want to and want to sort of take away that positivity because you're you're just out there doing nice stuff i just think it's yeah i don't really get it well i think you know i think you have to know that you're never going to please everybody ever yeah. so that's yeah. thing and i think you know I'm, I'm very lucky i've got a quite a large following and i think you, you're always going to get a few people that just not into do into what you do you know and you think well we'll just you know don't follow me yeah but they don't have to comment about yeah, it yeah yeah but people yeah. just people do don't know i mean i think it's just it's just where it's gone and uh, these sort of platforms have allowed that that kind of mm. um that kind of thing to happen so i, I to be honest, like I say, I'm 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 fine. It's not bothering me. I, I tend to try and nip these things in the bud before they get worse. So yeah, I could yeah. see I could see that I was um, feeling a bit like a bit tetchy about it. Not tetchy, yeah. no tetchy's not the right word. Just yeah, a little bit despondent, I guess, that people were being a bit mean. And I just thought, well, that's fine. I'll just not look at it. And actually, I think I th it's, yeah. it's it's good for us all to do that from time to time. I think that's a very that's a healthy reaction actually to mm. it. And do you know what? Actually, that sort of comes up on the pod with today's guest. <laughs> um, wait, shit! I've actually said Jenny Seagrave. Jenny Seagrove. Jenny Seagrove. Shit! I might say the wrong one. Sorry, we'll cut this bit. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm always really wary of get, getting the guest's name right first time round. Um, do you know what? That actually comes up on the pod today with our guest, the fabulous Jenny Seagrove, talking about reacting negatively and reacting positively positively mm. to things and actually she has a very interesting scientific reason behind it and and how your brain reacts to that um and you're talking about you reacting that to, to twitter there it has almost seamlessly linked into that no, today. so i mean we're, we're just getting very good at this now aren't we yeah it's a sort of yeah we are <laughs> yeah i mean it's only taken like 85 podcasts <laughs> <laughs> but we yeah I mean, hopefully by, you know, by episode 200, we'll be so good. The BBC oh. will be knocking on the door, <laughs> firing us up desperate. for six music. <laughs> They'll be desperate to get hold of us. Um, now, it's it's such a great um, episode this week. And um, I mean, she's just an absolute legend in the world of acting. And and, and what a wonderful person. There's so many great anecdotes, yeah. so much great advice. It's a, it's a corker this week. She's seen it all and done it all, basically. I mean, she's worked with some incredible directors in the past. I mean, I and 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 I'm a huge fan. I mean, Local Hero is is up there. It's one of my you know all time favorite films. It's a brilliant film. Uh, it's, it's such a beautiful film and very beautifully shot as well up in Scotland. And yeah, she she talked fondly about that and it being her first kind of big film gig, and that was nice to to, to hear all about that and uh yeah just just so many like you say brilliant anecdotes and stories from her from a from an illustrious career and one that yeah. you know could have gone in several different ways she, and she talks about sort of sitting in beverly hills hotel and you know at, at the pinnacle of like i guess a co her film career you know just shot a huge film with a with william freakin who directed the exorcist and many other big films um french connections another one of his and yeah, and thinking actually, I don't really like mm. like being Phone in this place. I actually don't like this, minutes. and actually, I don't want necessarily this amount of notoriety and uh, you know, yeah, and and fame. Yeah, so yeah, she's very honest about all that. It's, mm. it's, it's fascinating as well, and um, I think we should stop teasing people and go into it. But shall we, before we do that, uh, read a tweet or two out? I've actually remembered to do the tweets. I'm getting I better. Know, at this. I know, I know, I know. I nearly forgot. I nearly forgot. Um, let's read a tweet or two, and then we will dive into yeah. uh, this week's episode. Um, can I read you mine, 
Giles, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, you go for it. I've got one here Very from Paolo. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm just... Please, actually, sir, that can comes I up read on, my tweet? That comes up on the pod as well, doesn't it? About being polite. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, from Paolo, at Chop, Chop Monkey. And he's he's gone with a quote. Uh, the chairman... This is from our Gary Neville episode. Mm. Well, back in... Uh, well, January last year, I think. So oh, it doesn't yeah. seem that long ago, but I guess it is. Nearly two years ago. Uh, so the chairman appoints the sporting director, appoints the manager. If the manager fails, is that not reflection on the director? In any walk of life, it would be. Uh, which is a quote from Gary Neville on our pod. In fact, Paolo has dated it 25th January 2019. And then he's done some hashtags which link it to West Ham United and what's currently going on there. So uh, interesting what uh, the, the stuff that Gary has said there. Um, mm. Still relevant, actually, for um, subsequent issues. Certainly, as we know in football, these things do come around yeah. a lot. But, um, Gary, he was and still is on, in that episode and still subsequently in his broadcasting work, very much on the ball. And I use that pun intentionally. <laughs> very good. Yeah, brilliant. And and I would say ahead of his time in punditry terms and, mm. and, and as a person, just like very, very thoughtful Yes. With, his, with with what he says and uh, very very knowledgeable, I, I yeah. had a lot of time for Gary and I, you know, it was a it was a fantastic podcast, one I'm very fond of. Yeah. So I've got a tweet here from Leslie R Shaw on Twitter, and she says a little teaser for all things Stranger Things, uh, waiting for season four to be released. Like me, check out Blank Podcast interview with Giles Bayfitz and Jim Daly. Not this one's not to be missed, mm. and don't forget to follow them. They bring sunshine into your life. Well, that's very nice. Oh, and it's, wow. Yeah, podcast recommendations is the hashtag, hashtag. And it's all about the David Harbour podcast, which is obviously another old one. It's really mm. nice, isn't it? Like We've had a, quite a few people sending us messages who are obviously going back through the old catalogue mm. and, and listening that's to old pods. I'm enjoying them, clearly, yeah. which is which is really nice. So thank you, Leslie. That's very nice. And bringing sunshine to people's lives. You don't get a better review than that surely lovely really lovely well listen someone else that's brought sunshine onto this podcast <laughs> i'm getting so good at this now. you like steve Wright? <laughs> wow what a compliment um is this week's guest it's the legendary jenny seagrove on the blank podcast But Jenny, it's so lovely to have you on. It's been, um, you know, obviously we've been um, friends on Twitter and stuff for quite a while, and it's it's so lovely. I'm a huge fan of your work, going back to Local Hero, which is one of my favourite films, and we I would like to talk about that later if we may. But we normally start the podcast by asking our guests a little bit about growing up, and I know you were born in Kuala Lumpur, was it? I was Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, yeah. I won't say when. <laughs> Well, my dad was in business. He stayed there after the war. He mm. went, I think, as a Japanese interpreter to what was then called Burma during the war. And then he got sent down to Malaysia because it took them years and years and years to be repatriated. Um, and he loved it so much. He thought, well, actually, I'm going to stay here. And my mum, who was also in the intelligence, happened to be out in Malaysia. And they met on a boat coming back to England. And she said to me, because her love of her life, God bless her, um, was a man called Harry who um, was a pilot of Spitfires and he got shot down so she lost him 
but she said there were four men courting her on this <laughs> boat. And my dad was the most persistent. Bit of <laughs> my poor dad. She gave in to him in the end. She gave in to him. But um, I think because she was about 31, there wasn't a lot of hesitation. Anyway, back to... <laughs> that almost sounds like a, these days that would be a game show, wouldn't it? it? Four yeah. men, one woman on a boat. I know, it's kind of fun. Oh, don't, you'll give somebody an idea. <laughs> <laughs> They'll do one of these cruises and, and who's going to be the lucky man or the lucky girl? Exactly. Um, so back they went to Malaysia, where my brother was born, then I was born. Um, and then uh, I should have had a younger brother, I think, but... Um, my mum had a stroke giving birth, which is a double-edged sword, really, because giving birth meant that she was in hospital, but giving birth is what sort of kicked her off into having a stroke. Mm -hmm. So the hospital saved her, and she took about a year um, to recover from that. Amazing woman, my mum, absolutely amazing, real determination. Was it quite a de oh. debilitating stroke? Was she unable to...? She lost... She couldn't walk and talk to begin with. Yeah, it was. Um, so oh. she had to learn to walk and talk and write again, but she did. Um and it meant that when I was young, we had a mum who was just a little bit slower, who had a slightly weaker left side. And when we went to cocktail parties, the dreaded expat cocktail parties, she had to take a little folding seat, which as children, we all found hideously embarrassing. <laughs> but growing up, I completely get it. And I wish all children were born with the wisdom that grown-ups have, because, you know... I wanted to have really supported my mum 100% rather than going, oh, God, no, mummy, don't be so embarrassing. You know, but anyway, there it is. She was a wonderful mother. Yeah. And she sowed the seeds in me of animals, animal love. She loved animals. And a friend of us, because we went from uh, Kuala Lumpur to Singapore. Then we went up to Kuching in Borneo, which was wonderful. I remember going up with my dad and sitting with Dayaks in a longhouse drinking sucky or whatever it was it wasn't sucky reiki or raki raki i think it's called um some very alcoholic thing made from cane sugar or coconut or juice or whatever it is anyway it was absolutely delicious <laughs> and i was only a, a youngster but you know you got taught about alcohol quite young in those places um the dreaded chinese yam saying which means drink all in one oh so right so yeah you down a big in one. glass and you down it in one down it yeah um which didn't teach me to be an alcoholic, thank God. And my dad wasn't and my mum wasn't, so we got away with it. Then we went to Penang, I think, or back to KL and then up to Penang. And my mum, because she wasn't that well, eventually came back to England and my dad loved it out there. So they sort of stayed together but separated mm. and he'd come and see her in England. And he stayed in Penang until a few years ago where he died. And mm. Penang really has never changed. Malaysia, in general, has changed hugely, as has Singapore. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, Singapore used to have Boogie Street, which is where all the transvestites came, and all sorts of things. You'd you'd go there after parties as a young teenager. It was very exciting. Monks, do, little toy monks, doing the most obscene things. <laughs> 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 I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> and and you'd go off and and to see a, a sex show with. Elderly women doing strange things with cucumbers. Oh God! It was all very, very <laughs> highly educational. <laughs> the Boogie Street's gone, had, as have the Tiger Palm. I think they were called that. The part, the Tiger Gardens. It's all gone. It's all been terribly cleaned up, and it's frightfully proper these days. I remember a friend of ours when we were young. They just introduced the if you chewed gum and threw it on the streets and or had long hair, you'd have to go to the back of a queue. 
and we all had not me it's irrelevant for me but for for men a friend of ours had longish hair and so he, he never got anywhere he kept getting having to go to the backs of queues but it was a it was an interesting wow. time it was uh, such a privilege growing up there and you know we'd go out once a year and the rest of the time i'd stay with my grandparents or my aunts or any friends who would have us um and uh, i also had the privilege of a friend of ours rescued a baby orangutan and a baby brown bear so i played with them for a bit and then they got sent off to oh. zoos which now i realize is absolutely ghastly because i hate zoos mm. but at the time i suppose he didn't know any better because mm. he loved them to pieces um yeah there's definitely my um, when i was very young we lived in penang for a bit and i would have been a year old possibly i think and because my dad's job took us around we were in dubai for a bit and Penang and sort of all over mm. um and when we came back I probably would have been two maybe it's just way too young to remember mm. but I definitely think there's something very I fact say almost it's a bit of a blessing but being young abroad I think it really sort of opens your mind to the to the world and I think it is it's you're very lucky if you're a young person who gets to live abroad it opens your mind it also teaches you something quite useful for being an actor it sort of teaches you to be nomadic a bit of a gypsy a bit rootless because um, I've always been someone who I don't really know where I come from because I came from all over the place. And mm. I learned to just put my suitcase down, open it, and that's where I settled for a bit. Now, of course, it's where my heart is. That's where my home is with uh, Bill and with my two dogs. But in the old days, it was certainly, which is quite good if you're going on, on location on film sets because, you know, you just open your, your hotel door and think, right, this is home for a bit. You know, but it also because I went to boarding school and in those days it was quite formal. And because mm. I was staying with my grandparents who were from the Victorian era and my aunt um, and friends, you learned to be very polite. And I, I think I reached 40 before I understood why I was so polite um, with people and, and slightly formal. And I'd always mm. sort of fought against it because I thought, why am I like this? Why, why have I got this sort of glass window around me? And I realized that it was because I'd had to be terribly grateful to people and behave properly in their houses. I couldn't rebel as a teenager because you were always in someone else's property. And if you behave badly, they wouldn't have you back. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> But that idea, that's definitely the same from my mum and her mum and my dad's mum. It, it was behaving politely in other people's houses yeah. was such an etiquette. It, I mean, it was drilled into me massively from a young age, definitely. I think it's still... But it's also, it's, it's, it's how it there. should be. Mm. Yeah. But now I've realised what that reserve was. I, can, I've ne I never rebelled, really. And I, I'm a great believer in life that if you don't rebel when you're young, at some point in your life, you will rebel. I mean, mine has been a sort of quiet rebellion. <laughs> but I was going to say, has it come out? Has it come out in later life then? Um, not in a way that would be a teenage rebellion, but certainly I was one of the first to join up with, to realise that the world was going pear-shaped in terms of the um, climate. And so I was, I think, the fifth person ever to buy a Prius. Um, and walk everywhere and I, I don't like being conventional with fashion. I, I don't really care what 
I look like. Although having said that, as I get older, it's harder because you see all these wrinkles on your face and you go, oh God, is that really me? Who is that old person? <laughs> but you just have to cope with that, you know? So it's a different kind of rebellion, but I'm, I, I just choose to be relatively unconventional without making it my badge, mm. as it were. Mm. That's very powerful. That's very powerful. I think, it's, I think as we get older, it's incredibly difficult because we notice the world more and we notice the judgment more. Yeah. I think, I think it's very it's difficult. Very it's very hard on, on young people these days because Twitter and Instagram, Instagram especially, I don't think anyone posts picture, well, not many people post pictures um, without airbrushing them. Hmm. And so young people are always looking at other people and going, oh my God, I don't look like that. I'm such a failure. Hmm. And there's so much bullying and so much one-upmanship on on. Instagram and, and there's so much bullying on Twitter I can't bear it I'm incredibly careful I never want anyone to know where I am otherwise you can imagine that thieves mm. would come and I don't want to say anything contentious because to be honest I'm not robust or resilient enough to cope with the bullying mm. um, and so and I also I don't want to be nasty to people I want to be positive and and put out things that brighten people's days and I know Giles you do that you know mm. just but put things out that are beautiful and that lift people and not things that are horrid. Mm. But there's too much that's horrid around. And I don't believe people are naturally horrid, but I do believe in life. It's easier to be horrid. It takes more energy and more commitment and more discipline to be nice. Mm, it does. You're right. Yeah. I, I've studied an awful lot because of the charity I founded, um, the workings of the brain, because I, I created something called chance to be for, um, to teach children mindfulness with the horses. So it's, it's not pure mindfulness, but we took the structure of mindfulness. And it's really interesting. It takes, I think, 30 seconds or less to lay down a negative thought, a neuron path in the brain. It takes a good minute to lay a positive experience. And it's the way we're hardwired wow. because it's our protection. If you think in the old days, yeah. you know, you needed to be hardwired to know what to do and how to react instinctively if you're going to be chased by a wild cat or something. Whereas something nice didn't happen so often. So you need, when you've got something nice, to actually focus on it and stay with it for a good minute to let it sit in your brain. But I do think that you can teach yourself to become a positive thinker. I think it's mental gymnastics, just as you can teach yourself to be a negative thinker. And it's much easier to teach yourself that way because it happens mm. faster. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, and yeah. I, I think also, I think we're, we're looking at technology, talking about technology and how quickly it's evolving. And our brains haven't really evolved in, you know, thousands of years. We're still within those, you know, like you said about that negativity, that fear, fight or fear, all that kind of stuff, yeah. which is still so ingrained in, in, in what we are. And yeah, who it's we the are good old amygdala amygdala yeah. at the back of the brain going yeah scary scary better run <laughs> or at least i must fight and shout and scream yeah exactly of course your prefrontal yeah. cortex which is the calm communication bit goes into total shutdown so yeah. all sorts of things happen but yeah we're still grunting yeah <laughs> we are yeah. it's true so um when you came back to england you said you boarded what was what was that like and also i was going to say what was it like sort of having just being kind of parented i know you said your grandparents were involved as well but not having your dad around was that difficult not having my dad or my mum sorry not both. having your dad because your dad was still 
oh, in Malaysia. He and, and... No, he, my mum stayed there until we were in our 20s. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, you know, and they'd come over once a year and then we'd go over there sure. once a year. Um, so there was really only one holiday and half terms mm. that we were in other people's places. But uh, my first boarding school, my, my brother, bless him, went off when he was seven and had a really rough time. My first boarding school, I loved it. It was a little place called St. Hilary's in Godalming. And I mention it because I loved it so much. There was only about 20 full-time boarders and the rest were day kids. And we had a totally inspirational headmistress called Miss Hyams, who introduced me to the arts. Um, she taught poetry speaking. And I remember there was a little stage and I remember writing, starring and producing in my own version of Sleeping Beauty with coloured lights and all sorts of things. Amazing. And, you know, you're talking about a kid. I, I was quite pretty until I was about seven. And then I got specs and got a bit dumpy and became a real ugly duckling and was one of those kids who, well, I just never thought I'd ever get a boyfriend. And then my mum let me have contact lenses when I was about 17, 18. And suddenly the world opened up again. Um, but those formative years, when I was on stage, I took my specs off. I couldn't see anything, but it didn't matter because I was in a world of the imagination. So I loved St. Hilary, spent three years there and then went on to a public school, which wasn't such a, a happy experience. It was okay, nothing bad. It was just all about discipline and, um, you know, if if you asked a question, because I was always in trouble, not for things like boys or, or drugs, just because we had midnight feasts and I was always being called. Um, and so you'd get sent to the headmistress and you'd say, well, why aren't we allowed to do this? And she'd say, because we say so. Well, that's not a good enough answer for me. I want to know why. You know, it's like, and I have this theory with kids. If they ask a question, you can't just say, because I say so, because I'm the authority. You have to explain why why it's in their interests not to do it and they accept it then otherwise it's just authoritarian you know yeah yeah that's quite my, my um, we've got a one-year-old and my wife listens to a lot of um podcasts and sort of parenting pods and that came up recently because they were saying if, if you if you've got your kid at the playground or something and you want to go you're feeling tired and you say to the kid right we're going now and they say why and you say well because we're going to go there's more chance they'll kick off if you say look, mummy's really tired, daddy's tired, daddy wants to go home, there's more chance they'll say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah I understand. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's almost that honesty, being more honest, yeah. actually Being helps. authentic to them, yeah. yeah. I think that works for adults as well, actually. I, I totally agree, <laughs> absolutely. But it takes more patience sometimes. Yeah. Because you have to actually, if you're tired, explain why. And, and sometimes it is just because I say so, but you've got to think of an excuse or a reason. <laughs> So was was it Mrs. Hines? You said there was the the headmistress. Miss Hines. Miss Hines. Um, was you said she sort of introduced you to the arts? Was that when you first sort of got, got a taste for acting? Then. Yes, absolutely, mm. no question. And at my um, public school, I always played the lead um, in the school plays and in the house plays. Um, and I, I did science A levels, um, chemistry, biology, and um, physics, because uh, I thought I wanted to be a vet. Um, and I got them, but I realized I didn't want to be a vet. I literally woke up one morning and thought, I can't do this. I wouldn't be able to put these animals down. I can't do it. I don't want to be a vet. What am I going to do? So I thought, oh, I'm quite good at acting. I'll be an actress. And I remember my mother going white. I was on the landing. She was on the stairs and she said, but darling, you've always wanted to be a vet. And I went, yes, I know, but I'm not, I don't now. So she was, bless her. She was very 
quiet and she said, all right, but you've got to have backup. You've either got to do a secretarial course or a cookery course. So I decided, because my birthday's in July, so I was young for my year, um, to go to a crammer in Cambridge where I did English history of art and art in a year. Felt like I'd come home. I sailed through them and had fun at the same time with friends in Cambridge. And then took a year out where I went to Mrs. Russell's three-star school of cookery in Victoria (laughs) (laughs) for three months, which was hilarious. But they did teach me to cook. Um, And then I can't remember what I did the rest of the year. I got some odd jobs. I've always done jobs in my holidays. You know, you're either uh, somebody in a petrol station or you're apple picking or you're um, a chambermaid in a hotel. That Mm. was fun. I won't tell you which town, but the vicar used to have affairs. Oh, really? <laughs> which, you, which you wouldn't expect. Not from a man of the cloth, or maybe you would actually, but I certainly didn't. Wow. Um, and then that summer I went and was showing people around Cognac, um, Remy Martin in Cognac, so I was working on my French. And I did int- uh, auditions for, I didn't want to go to RADA, I wanted to go to the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. But I also auditioned for Lambda and Weber Douglas. I got into them and I got into the short list um, for Bristol. And the summer was passing and I thought, I've got to make a decision because these other two places have said yes and I can't keep them going. So I picked up the phone to Bristol and this voice, yes. And I said, oh, um, um, oh gosh, it's, it's Jenny Seagrove here. I'm, I'm, I'm on the short list. Um, I need to know if you're going to give me a place because otherwise I need to go somewhere else. And I said, wait, blah, blah, blah. And there was a long pause. And it was Nat Brenner, the principal, who had answered. And he oh. said, well, he said, yes, I think we'll give you a place. <laughs> <laughs> so that was me on the three-year course, which, and it was kind of odd at Bristol because you do three years with one group, one year with the first group of people who were on the two-year course. They then went on to their final year. Then 10 of you who were doing the three-year course, which actually included Daniel Day-Lewis, bless him, went off and did a year by yourselves. And then your third year was people on their second year. And we did have an extraordinary number of people who've done well. Miranda Richardson, Danny, Greta Scacchi, um, Nick Farrell, uh, Alex Jennings. Wow. Uh, Quite a cohort. Oh, it's an amazing cohort. And there's people I've missed off. It was an extraordinary cohort of, of people from those three years who came through Bristol. And we had a man called Rudy Shelley, little Austrian Jewish ex-ballet dancer who anybody who's been to Bristol in my era would know. Darlings, pull down your bolero, squeeze your buttocks. (laughs) 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 That was all to do with your breathing. Rudy, Rudy loves the boys. (laughs) (laughs) So was it theatre acting that was most appealing to you at that time? I don't think I cared. No, I'd never thought about being on screen. Just, I mean, you know, I, I went, I was very lucky. We had a dance movement teacher called Lynn Britt. And she had said to me in my final year, because you had to get an equity card in those days. So you had to write to all the reps. So I wrote off to six million. She said, Jen, don't forget to write to East Grinstead. The Adelaide Jenny at East Grinstead, Brian Carter's a friend of mine. So I went, oh, thanks, Lynn, and forgot. So he was coming to see me and a couple of other people, um, accepting that I'd forgotten to write. So she said, Jenny, did you write to Brian? I went, oh, no, Lynn, I forgot. I can't bear it. She said, don't worry, I'll put you on the list. Bless her. And I got the job. So I got my equity card, thanks to Lynn Britt. Um, and so I went there, and then I went up to Newcastle, 
to play a couple of parts. Um, then I got an agent and I got a short, something in a car park. It was a thriller and set in a car park. And then I got an, a little tour of the parks playing Susie and Susie and the dazzling Doobry Wangle Dodge. That's <laughs> quite a mouthful. <laughs> with, with Peter. Ah, he's a wonderful Greek initially actor. Pete, Peter, oh, he'll kill me for not remembering him. He's done terribly well in musical theatre. Anyway, I can't remember him. I'm getting old now. So boring. It'll come to me as we talk. Um, and then, oh, I don't remember the chronology, but then it all started to happen. I got a short that won an Oscar for best short um, with Rupert Everett starring, and I was one of the leads in it. Um, I got the Brack Report, which is currently showing on Talking Pictures, and it's truly awful. And I look about, <laughs> I do look about two and a half, and everybody's overacting. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Um, and uh, Woman in White, local hero. Local hero. Yeah. Was that your first sort of big screen? It was. Yeah, it's my yeah. first big screen picture. Yeah. And I, I remember screen testing with Peter Capaldi. We were down by the river in Bray doing a screen test because, of course, I was playing Marina, you know, the marine biologist. Yeah. And therefore, they screen te texted us next to the River Thames. <laughs> was it cold? It was a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful film. And it's kind of really... I think it's really stood the test of time as well. I think it's, it has. I yeah. saw it just recently on a big screen and it still works. And it was one of the happiest films I've ever made. And Bill Forsyth, just the best way of directing, because I remember Peter telling me a story about his own against himself, because Peter was in those days, you know, it was his first picture and he was comedic and he, he was tending to sort of um, overact a bit. And he said, Jenny, Jenny, I, I said to, to uh, you can't, I'll try and show it to you, but, but with my voice, he said, Bill, Bill, is this, is this a good way to, um, to do the wake up in the morning? And he did this huge, ah, stretched his arms and, you know, and, and did all of that great big overacted yawn. And there was a pause and Bill went, eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. That's wonderful. I think those sort of anecdotes are always really, really nice to hear with those sort of those sort of movies that but touch you. Peter's so gone on to really do wonderful work and directing as well. You know, he's just a a great artist. Well, there was a. It sounds like you. Were sorry, sort of, you on, Joe? Sorry, John. You were sort of taking all this in your stride, Jenny. You know, sort of one step to the next. You do. I remember on the Brack stuff. Report because we didn't do any television at Bristol. It was really theatre. We went to a TV studio once to just look round it, but it was basically theatre. So in the Brack Report, I remember Donald Sumter, who played the lead, my dad, um, walking in the front door and saying, oh, bother um, to the continuity girl, what hand was my suitcase in? And I remember thinking, oh, I've got to think of things like that. <laughs> I didn't know any of that. So that was, you know, quite a, but you, you learn on the hoof. And Rudy used to say to us, darlings, darlings, you won't understand anything I am teaching you for a good seven years of working. <laughs> and of course, by about seven years in, it did start to go going into my brain. I was like, oh, that's what he meant. And I think learning on the hoof really is the only way to do it. You can learn intellectually, mm -hmm. but until you actually do it and make an ass of yourself or do it well, 
it doesn't really sink into your fabric. That makes I totally sense. agree. Because I think a lot of the times in the creative industries, we try to be perfect and we try to, you know, we're judging ourselves a lot and assuming others are judging us. But I think you, you have to get things wrong. You have to sort of roll with it a bit. You have to try things that do work, that don't yeah. work. And as you say, you, le you learn on the job. And it's, it's Larry Olivia said, always, uh, darling, always aim for perfection and know that you will never achieve it. You know, <laughs> and that's it. You have to aim for the very, very best. And maybe you will achieve one millisecond of it, one moment where you're flying. I mean, I've had some amazing times on stage where you almost become out of body. It, you're in the zone, something happens and you almost leave your body and you come off stage and people go to you, wow, what's going on? You kind of go, I have no idea, but that just something happened. And it's terribly exciting, but it doesn't happen very often. Giles, we have uh, something exciting to announce here in the middle of the podcast, um, and that is that we are launching blank merchandise. It's official. No way. Proper, <laughs> proper merchandise. Proper merchandise. So if our listeners would like to buy blank merchandise, they can go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank, and you can get, well, you can get a range of things, can't you? You can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs. What else? Baby grows? Baby grows, because I'm sure... You know, there's a lot of babies out there that love the Blank Podcast. Um, I know mine does. Um, and you can also get... The, we've got various um, designs, haven't we? We've got one that's got our Blank logo on, uh, and then mm -hmm. we've got two that are inspired by pod guests. Yeah, one of them was inspired by Rebecca Callard, who was on, I think, the eighth episode of the Blank Pod. Mm. And hers was to do with her video collection, which we were talked about at some length and we thought that what video library which was the video shop i worked in back in the 90s was an excellent name for a romantic <laughs> band of the 1980s <laughs> yeah and then you made this uh, this great uh, what looks like album cover of you and me with um hair from flock of seagulls um so we mm -hmm. thought you know what let's make that into a design so you can get that on t-shirts and hoodies and, and sweatshirts and then we've got one that's inspired by sanjeev baskar when he talked about the three different stages of blank fearful blank neutral blank and happy blank and we've turned that into a design as well so um we've got various uh, designs that people can can get um and in different colors as well I'm, I'm very excited by this charles i'm really excited it feels like we're a proper thing now it does indeed um so if our listeners would would like to buy some merch um the t-shirts for example are 18 quid um the hoodies are 27 quid uh the tote bags are 17 <sighs> quid and mugs are 15 quid and of course we do get a small cut as well of of everything that's sold so if you'd like to support the pod um then you can do it in this way and you'll get yourself some exclusive blank merchandise so go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank Well, I was going to say, obviously, the, the podcast about blank moments, and I wondered if actually there are those times on the flip side of that where it's difficult because things aren't really going and, you know, maybe you've forgotten lines or whatever it might be. Is How do you deal with those moments? Um, you have to just be calm. Um, losing lines is terrifying. I remember I did a two-hander hmm, probably about 20 years ago. And I had never, ever in my life dried. And it was a two-hander where I was in a wheelchair. 
And during rehearsals, there's only a two week rehearsal period, which is very, very short for a two hander, which is a full length play. And they'd given me a, um, an old fashioned wheelchair that had to wheel around using my hands. And I got my electric wheelchair on the technical. So my brain was now half on the wheelchair and not particularly on the lines. And that was fine, we got through it. And the opening night I dried and it was with Stephen Pinder and bless him, he got me out of it. Um, and I went backstage at half time at the interval and I thought, I can't go back on. I've never, I've, I've never been so frightened in my life. And I gave myself a good stern talking to her, went back on stage and got through the second half. Next night, dried in the same place. It got me through it again. Wow. And this time I really nearly couldn't go on. And then after that, I got it. I was fine. Um, I very rarely dry, but if I do, I've learnt that you just go calm. And you just, it feels like it's 30 seconds, but it's probably about five seconds. You allow your brain to find the word or whatever it is that you've lost. And you just keep looking as if you're natural, playing a pause, and then it comes and you keep going. Or and if you can't find it, you go to the nearest place that you know is next on the journey of, of whatever. Or somebody will help you out. I mean, it's normally me that helps others out, but I do dry sometimes, not often, but sometimes. Mm. And keeping calm is the best thing. And if you really do dry, <laughs> oh God, my first West End show with Tom Conti and Judy Lowe and Gabrielle Drake. God, I love those. We've had such fun, it was present laughter. And we'd done, a long, long tour, and we're now in a six-month run in the West End. And Tom has this theory that your brain keeps the words in the short term for a period of time. I think it's about three months, he says. And then there's a week where you will lose the lines whilst the brain transfers them into the long term. And anyway, I don't think it was that week. I just think I lost concentration. And because it's all about focus. And <laughs> I had two lines that are very, very similar that I give to Judy Lowe. And Tom is sitting downstage on the sofa probably upstaging us, but there we go, because he's, he's wicked. I love him. I love working with him. Anyway, I, I gave Judy the second line instead of the first line, and she answered it. And I thought, oh, oh, something's gone wrong. I don't know what to say next. So there was a pause, and I said, God, because I was playing the character Russian. I said, Gary, Gary, darling, what do you think? And Tom said, I don't know, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> at which point, Judy and I are look, looking at each other, but I have to turn up stage because I'm laughing. So I, <laughs> my shoulders are heaving, and Tom goes, well, this isn't going to get us anywhere. <laughs> so he leads the stage to the prompt corner because none of us know where we are now. We've all completely lost the plot. So he leaves, goes off stage, and my character obviously thinks, well, if, if Gary's leaving, I must leave, so I follow him. And Judy Lowe thinks, well, I'm not being on stage <laughs> by myself. So she leaves the stage. So the audience is now clapping because they think <laughs> that we have completely lost the plot laughing, which is true. What they don't know is that we don't know where we are. It's mayhem backstage because Tom is going to the DSM who's on the book. What's next? What's next? And we get the words and we go back on stage and we pick it up but he's so wicked. This is where he's so wicked. We come to the scene the next night and I say my line to him and there's a pause. <laughs> and he's done it on purpose because he wants <laughs> me to think that we've tried. And I tried to get him another night. I've got some black brown contact lenses made. So I thought I'll make him laugh because it's impossible to make him corpse on stage. It sounds awfully unprofessional. Um, but anyway, <laughs> there we are. 
And you do these things in a long run because it just keeps it lively. Yeah. So I put them in, mm. feeling very, very pleased with myself and went on stage. And within two lines, he'd gone, what lovely eyes you have tonight. <laughs> so who ended up coursing me? Yeah. And he kept a straight face. What a rotter. But don't all audience, but audiences like they love all that those stuff. moments when things go they wrong. They absolutely love it, which is why they were applauding. If you look frightened when something goes wrong and kind of go, ah, then they get all nervous. But if you as an actor go, oh, this is daft, we've all lost the plot, you know, this is really funny, they feel really happy about it and they feel like they've been part of something quite special. Well, it's yeah. in the word, isn't it? It's play. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think audiences do like those moments as well. Because every, every performance is unique, isn't it, anyway? And so to, to get those moments mm. means you've been yeah. there at something, you know, quite special or, you know. That's right. I had a moment in The Exorcist. Um, I've got to remember the actor's name, Adam. He's gone as well. I'm having a good morning. <laughs> um, anyway, he was playing one of the priests. Um, God, I hope that doesn't mean I'm losing my brain. Early dementia. Ah, oh, dear. Um, anyway, we have a scene together and The Exorcist is a very, very tense play. And there was one scene where we're just freewheel, both of us. We'd say the lines, but neither of us ever knew what was going to happen because it was just playing off each other. And I remember he threw a shape, which made the audience laugh. And my character was incensed because my daughter was under such threat. And the I thought, as an actor, it kind of split my brain into my character and the actor. And then the actor thought, I've got to get the audience back. So I smacked him on the face really hard and the audience were kind of like ooh, ooh. and after that they had no idea what was going to happen because that was completely unexpected and they knew it was unexpected um adam garcia that's who he was um and um it meant a really electric show and every night we did i didn't i mean i, I never hit him like that again but it was, and he didn't mind in the least bit, you know, that it was absolutely electric. Mm. We sort of came off stage to do a quick change together and both went, whoa, what happened there? <laughs> That's, yeah, I can imagine those quite magical, those kind of moments when you're really, magical. when you're end really the, embedded in those characters. Yeah, absolutely. And an end of the miracle worker um, with a young actress who was actually 21, but looked nine. And at the end of the play, I'm playing Annie Sullivan and she's playing Helen Keller. And Helen realizes what Annie is trying to teach her in terms of hand language, sign language, um, and touches the water pump and comes across to Annie and spells out the word water on Annie's hand. And it was the last night at Wyndham's. It was a full house, people and standing at the back as well. And hugely emotional. I didn't see um, the actress, I saw Helen Keller coming towards me and I felt totally inhabited by Annie Sullivan. And it was such a powerful moment. Yeah. Extraordinary moment. I was going to ask, yeah, sorry, a, Jim. That's amazing. I was going to ask, what's it like when you step away from those characters? You know, especially Peter Polycarpu. I knew his name yeah, would come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we are. Get there, See, brain's clicking in yeah, now. It's, all, it's fine. You're <laughs> right. Do you know what it is? There's a, a rotor deck in the back of your brain and you haven't thought of these names for such a long time. They've gone down to the basement yeah. as it were. And it, mm. you've got a very creaky lift 
And the, the, the top story is all right because it's only got one flight to go down. <laughs> but when it's on the 20th one, it's like... Uh, uh, yeah. uh, 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 down to the bottom floor and then the old boy running the lift has to open the door yeah. and he has to put all the files in the bed and he gets the name out and then sends it up to the top floor <laughs> where you go aha i remembered yeah I keep, it's there some- I keep saying to people um because it's so easy to google now like if oh, you I can't know. remember something so I, I keep saying we have to use nature's google and try and find it in our own minds right. try and delve yeah. delve in it is there, there and find somewhere it. you just need to let it happen yeah. the harder you try the longer it takes yeah absolutely yeah look away look in another direction let it come to you and then it does yeah absolutely i was going to say when you're really deep in and particularly if you're on a long run of um, performances how is it stepping back out of that character when you've like finished a production for example and also i guess when you've built up a family of you know colleagues around around a play is that is that is that challenging to come out of that or do you just move on to the next thing and it's just a nice to have a refresh it's really hard i mean bill always laughs because i bring my parts to a certain degree i didn't realize i did but he says oh he says i'm living with an alcoholic at the moment okay or i'm living with a killer or somebody who is killed i bring a little bit home um and we do form families and on films as well and on television we form very strong families and it's really, really hard. I mean, one of the happiest films I've ever done was a film we made a year and a half ago called Off the Rails with Sally Phillips and Kelly Preston, God bless her. Mm-hmm. Kelly is now passed away, um, which is deeply shocking since the film was about three friends, the fourth friend who had passed away. So it's almost life imitating art, but we became so close in that. And uh, Sally and I have stayed friends. I'm, actually honored to be able to say because i think she's very special yeah, very wonderful special wonderful actress yeah. mm-hmm. wonderful actress wonderful performer very special human being and very funny um but very bright oh my goodness she's bright um but you know sometimes you think you're going to keep in touch with someone and you do for a bit and then you don't but sometimes it's like i did the female odd couple with paula wilcox and tracy charles and sue holderness and I decided that we all needed to go to, Paula couldn't make it, but Tracy and Sue and Lavinia Bertram, who's now passed, um, I took them all to New York to do some research <laughs> because it's set in New York. You know. And I said, girls, we need to go to New York for a week. So off we went to New York and we had the most marvelous time. And then we had six months in the West End. So I keep in touch. Those girls are my dear, dear friends. Um, but you do, you do. I think as creatives, leave, you lead more transient lifestyles. So it's not those friendships and those working sort of relationships. They they, they come and go more freely than an office job. Well, they do like because it's, you it's have different. to open yourself up. You have to open your heart very quickly to people. You have to become very close to them very quickly if it's going to work. Mm. And then you leave them and then you have to do the same with the next group of people. So a friendship to move with you has to stand not only the test of time, but the fact that other as interesting people or as kind people have come into your life. Um, but some friendships can do that. But what about if there are, you know, there, there are casts where you have to connect someone emotionally because of the role, but maybe you don't get on with them as, <laughs> as friends as much. That's, that's got to be difficult. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few of those. I've had three, never with women, three men. I won't give you their names who've been absolute pigs. Wow. I mean, deeply unpleasant. And 
one of them wasn't a love interest, but two of them were. That was really hard. But it's called acting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, we get, I mean, I guess with acting more than most things, you are bearing your soul in, in situations with with strangers, you know, and, you know, you're having to really strip yourself down and be vulnerable. Um, well, doing a bed scene on the first day of a shoot is always challenging. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Especially if it's someone you don't like particularly. Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> but bed scenes are challenging. I mean, I don't do them anymore, obviously. Um, but they were always challenging and you just have to laugh because it's embarrassing for both of you. So, I mean, the worst bit is, is, is yeah, they're closed sets, but the, you're always surrounded by the crew. And <laughs> the funniest thing is I did a series called Diana by RF Delderfield when I was a young actor. And, you know, you'd have a, 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 a OB filming day weeks, but you'd also have studio days in those days. So you'd go into the BBC at nine in the morning and start shooting and finish at 10 at night or something like that. And you'd be doing these love scenes and these crews would be standing around behind their cameras, yawning, you know, drinking a cup of coffee and, and you'd be giving your all to these guys just sort of, you know, completely disinterested. It was, it was quite hard. But every now and then you'll get some member of the crew who goes, oh yeah, Jen, that was great girl, well done. And, you know, when you've uh, impressed somebody who's seen everything, then you know you've done a good take. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like working with um, William Freaking? Because you did The Guardian with him. And he I feels did, like yeah. a, like He's from the married, outside, a, 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 a force of nature, for sure. He is a force of nature. He's completely potty and I love him. <laughs> and um, it was, I mean, Billy likes to shoot with long lenses. Okay. So that you can be intimate with the actor, but the camera's a long way away. And he'll also keep the camera rolling. And often the magic happens after somebody else would have said cut. Um, he could be quite hard on a few people. Luckily, not me. We got on really well. Um, he was endlessly inventive. And I remember doing our ADR, the looping, which is the after sound people. Mm-hmm. When you do a film, you have to do all the, the lines that haven't come, come out very clearly. It's for people who don't know the business. Um, and I remember lying in a concrete bath and the two of us just saying, oh, I love working with you. We must do another film together. And of course it never happened. But, you know, The Guardian was his big comeback and it was one of my big breaks. And I remember going off to Los Angeles and everybody ringing me. Everybody wanted a bit of me when it was made and before it had come out. And... I, I sort of sat there at the poolside at the Beverly Hills Hotel as another manager rang mm. and said, can I be your manager? Thinking, I really don't like this. I really That's don't like this. And we had a, the first preview that all the agents and everybody came to at Universal Studios. Huge, huge viewing cinema. And the film started and everything was a real buzz. And within 10 minutes, everybody knew that it wasn't going to do well because actually it wasn't good enough. It's become a cult, um, mm. but it wasn't good enough. And, and I sort of knew it wasn't going to be because the script I signed up to uh, was a British um, screenplay writer who was writing the script and he had a nervous breakdown uh, and got taken wow. off it. And then the studio decided that they wanted it to be about this druid nanny who turned into a tree. And I begged them, I actually ran, rang um, Jim Jacks, who was producing it for us, and said, Jim, you have to make this about people, you know. And he said, no, no, the, the 20-somethings, 
um, will be too frightened by it if it's real, because it's about this woman mm. taking their children. We have to make it, you know, about sort of something that couldn't possibly exist. So Billy, bless him, wrote the script. Um, and you had these multitudinous colored pages, because every time you get a rewrite, you definitely have a different color coming at you. And it just became absurd, you know, this tree being cut down by it with a chainsaw at the end and me being covered in bark. I knew that was fun. That was a, a four-hour makeup job, and I used to walk around going, "Black bus, black bus," behind people's backs. I'd creep up on them. I but do remember it, it, seeing that it, film it when has, I was younger. I do remember seeing it. It has a... become a cult, mm. yeah. But it, at the time, it didn't do. It had a huge opening weekend and then did nothing because it just it didn't quite work. But it's interesting and you saying the phone stopped. The yeah. phone stopped overnight. Oh. Well, it was interesting you saying oh. that you were sitting, you know, sitting in Beverly Hills and thinking that you didn't you weren't enjoying the, the oh i hated of, it yeah that's that's because i knew it was false yeah and i didn't want to be this piece of meat which is what it made mm. me feel like so when the phone stopped it was no surprise can you hear my dogs yeah we can hear them yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the and Alfie. i have no idea why but something's happening in the house <laughs> <laughs> that's right they're welcome so yeah that's that's really interesting so in some ways was it a, a bit of a blessing that the film didn't really didn't really do as well as you did. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I, be, I believe in life, in ne never having regrets. And my career as a young actor went stellar very quickly. Um, and I believe, had it remained like that, that I wouldn't have coped mentally. Um, and I've never achieved heights of stardom that the initial career was pointing towards and i'm really grateful that i haven't because i don't think it's nice being globally famous i'd much rather have a life where i'm in the blessed position now where i can pick and choose what i want mm. to do i don't have to work so i can choose roles that i want to do rather than having to work um and i have a, a wonderful life with somebody who I care about and who cares about me. And I think if that had gone stellar or if Woman of Substance, which did go stellar, if I'd have made the right decision after that, because again, I made the wrong decision about what I, I did next, um, I think my life would have been very different. And basically, I just, I don't regret. I'm very grateful that things didn't happen in the way that they might have done. Yeah, I think that's very, it's really refreshing to hear because I think you're absolutely right for a lot of, you know, very famous movie stars or, or in any industry, people don't under, under understand, I think, the psychological pressures that they are under sometimes. Oh, it's horrible being famous, especially now. Horrible. Um, now, one of my dogs has just opened the door, so I'm just going to carry my computer and go and shut the door. No worries. <laughs> Alfie likes to know what I'm doing. There we are. Well, you can join the pod. Yeah, well, he hasn't come in. He just took a look in, opened the door and left. And I keep saying to him, Alf, you're going to open the door. You have to learn to shut it. But it doesn't seem to work. <laughs> there we are, I'm back. No worries. Um, I, I think being famous now is absolutely horrible because oh. you can't go anywhere without being photographed and mm. um, photographed and videoed. And, you know, you go to the theatre 
and people are taking videos of you and you walk down the street just looking like a normal person. Suddenly you're in the Daily Mail or the Mirror or whatever it is, whatever, mm. or on Twitter, you know, and you're just trying to live your life. Not everybody wants to go out wearing makeup and a tiara, you know, mm. and, and me especially, I'm shocking. I mean, I said to Bill very early doors because the character in Present Laughter was hugely glamorous. And I said, Bill, you do know I'm a bag lady, don't you? And he laughed because he didn't believe me. Well, he soon learned. And that goes right back. When I was a young actress, I used to have a place in Suffolk. I remember going into my pub and the publicans, John and Pat Stone, were good friends. And John said to me one day, he said, Jen, could you, could you just dress up once and look like a, a movie star? And I just looked at him and went, John, that's not who I am and I'm not going to do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all, we all have the right to be ourselves. Yeah. And, and, and if people you, are disappointed because you don't look glamorous, well, ugh, sorry, you know. And anyway, why are you judging me for what I look like? Surely I should be being judged on my acting, but more importantly, what I'm like as a human being. Am I kind to you? Am I polite to you? Do I make you laugh? Do I make you feel good? You know, this obsession with the outside, which is what Instagram does to us, and, and all this reality television it's it's all wrong and also i guess you know being in that industry as well um but the performance industry particularly if you're in films and tv you're you're on screen and you have to look at you know look a certain way and present yourself in a certain way there's there's that added pressure there as well you know it is and there's no question people find it easier to look on something that's easy on the eye and, you know, as you get older, it gets more challenging because you're not so easy on the eye. <laughs> um, but I'm not going uh, to... I can't bear the idea of having a facelift. It scares me. Why would I want to put myself through an operation and have a full anaesthetic? You know, but then I look in the mirror and I go, ah! <laughs> so. Well, I think you're looking amazing. Well, thank you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, having someone who's gone grey in the last few years and sort of have having been embraced it through my wife, I used to dye my hair. Um, I, I, you know, I think I'm I'm all for sort of embracing the the yeah. aging. Yeah, you're right, but it is easier for men. There is it is no no, no I agree yeah, I agree yeah, I agree it yeah it is yeah absolutely. And I'm paying the price for those years in the sun every summer holidays when we used to literally fry ourselves because we wanted a tan to go back to school with. And the skin would literally flake off on that mm. unaccompanied miners BOAC flight back home. <laughs> and you would be pouring Nivea lotion on, onto it. And by the time you got back, the, the tan had sort of faded to a dull yellow. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm paying the price now. <laughs> we were talking a bit off air about, um, obviously, the, going through a challenging time. And I, I know you've had some projects that you've sort of had to stall because of because of covid and what's been yeah. going on uh, how have you found this period has it been difficult <sighs> it's been a mixture i mean in life i have a great saying it's not what happens to you it's how you react to it so mm. we're all in control of how we find it and you know i fight every day to get up and be positive and some days i win and some days i don't win but mostly i do um, it has been incredibly frustrating. You know, I was meant to be in rehearsal for Hamlet with Serene McKellen on April the 6th, and then that got postponed. And then we started rehearsal, and then the government withdrew their guidelines. We did two weeks rehearsal, and then it got postponed mm. again. 
And then we were planning to film the show and then go into the theater next year. And then the surge started. And mm -hmm. you, you cannot put Sir Ian McKellen, who is 81, at risk. So mm -hmm. it's been postponed again. But we are going to be doing um, some small plays with small casts at Windsor because uh, Bill is determined that the pantomime will, take ha will happen at Windsor. Now, of course, if a second lockdown happens, we'll all be stymied again. Mm -hmm. And I feel more sorry for him because he's the one keeping his company going, employing mm -hmm. people, keeping them employed, not furloughing a lot of people and getting ready for something. And he had other musicals ready to go. And then things change and then ready to go again. And then it changes again. So he's been incredibly frustrated and is losing a fortune. Um, mm -hmm. But what can you do? You know, we're actually the lucky ones. We've got a lovely home. We've got dogs. We've got each other. Um, and I've got my charity that has kept me sane because, I mean, for all charities, it's terribly difficult. Mm. But that gives me a purpose. You know, yeah. I wasn't able to go to the sanctuary because I, I run a horse sanctuary that helps the horses to help people. I wasn't able to go at all in lockdown. But every day I was talking to my manager and my team, checking up, trying to, to do virtual online events because we can't raise any money. We, we rely on events. And we've had to cancel all the events this year. So there's no income coming in apart from, you know, donations, which people have been amazing. And even though people have lost jobs, they're still donating. But it's not enough. It costs £350,000 to run the place because of all the work we do with people. Um, so, you know, we're trying to be invented. Now schools are back. We've got the kids coming back on site. But still, we can't do our events but it's kept me feeling I've got a purpose mm. when I can't fulfill myself as an actor. And bless him, Bill is the chairman of Everton, so that's kept him busy. Um, mm. But it's, it's very challenging, and I, I worry massively about my technician friends, my makeup artist friends, my actor friends, who maybe are not as privileged as I am, as not, not as lucky as I am, and who are struggling. And you know, you can't get work in restaurants and bars because they're all shut, mm. you know, and I've got three nieces who the, the oldest one had a job. She got made redundant and the youngest one was furloughed. She's gone back to work, but I think it's touch and go. And the middle one lost her job. And that generation and the one below them, uh, I, I, they should be flying. This is their time to mm. fly. Yeah. And instead they've had their wings, wings cut. You know, I've lived, I've, I've flown, you know, if this, if I'm stuck, not being able to do what I want to do. At least I've got 30 years of experience behind me. Whereas the kids nowadays, my goddaughter, she graduated from college, uh, from school this year. You know, she's going to, to, um, to, I think it's Oxford or Cambridge, one of those, very bright kid. So they graduated without a ceremony and they go, there's no freshers, there's nothing. It's all sort of damp squibs all over the place. And mental health problems are, 60% up from what they normally are. It's, oh, I feel so sad for, for, for young people. Desperate, desperate time. It's very unfair. That generation is, is, yeah. is and, really being put through a tough time. You know, we're leaving them a planet. I mean, you're younger than me, but we're, I feel like we're leaving them a planet that we've just raped. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the green, the, I think Greenland has passed the point of no return of its melting. And you've got your man in Brazil who's gaily oh. 
yeah. ignoring Bolsonaro. climate change and burning the Amazon. Yeah. Uh, what planet? And then you've got your man in America who's saying climate change doesn't exist. What is wrong with these people? Well, only this last week, Trump has been saying that um, the scientists don't know what they're yeah. talking about. And you There's think... forest fires on the West Coast. Yeah. And we've had more tropical storms coming across the Atlantic. Yeah. And we've had these extreme weather situations. And meanwhile, the polar bears are starving and animals are going extinct. And, you know, we have a, a duty to steward the planet. I mean, there's a, a Jewish word, I think, yeah. word, I think it's called retack. And I only learned about this all years ago because I'm a trustee of the Born Free Foundation. One of the trustees came in and he said his daughter was a Hebrew scholar and she was up in arms because the word means to have stewardship of, to have a, a responsibility to care for. And it had been redefined in the latest Bible as to have dominion over. And there's a huge difference to have dominion yeah, yeah, over the animal world or to have a stewardship and to care for. And, you know, it just feels like we've gone wrong. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, it's a wacky idea and I'm, it's not right. But part of me thinks that, because I do believe there is a universal life force. And this, anyone who hears this who's lost someone is going to be so angry with me. But on some level, maybe the universe has given us COVID um, because less flights are going out there. We're consuming less mm. and we're losing populations. Um, I say that with huge sadness because we shouldn't have to go through that to be responsible. But on some level, it's almost like, okay, mate, you're not going to listen right. I'm going to send this to punish you and to, to do some of the job for you. If, the, yeah, if this was biblical times, then it would be, yeah. you know, a plague sent from above. We've got yeah. swans in Venice, you know, nature seems to be healing in many places. Yeah. But we've we've backed ourselves into a corner with, with the earth, really, because we've just treated it so badly. Yeah. And we've and continue not to. had good stewardship. Continue to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we have, pe we have people in power at the moment, as you, people you mentioned, who not only don't care, actively, actively fight against it, yeah. which is, which is horrendous really but it leaves leaves me feeling very sort of powerless really it too. i don't very powerless to do i and can vote how i vote but it doesn't seem to do doesn't it doesn't make any difference and you know that leads on to things like the hs2 which i think yeah. is the biggest travesty of this generation because i don't know who thought of it and who thought it was a good idea and maybe at the time maybe it was to link the south and the north but to continue with it now, to say, yes, it's a good idea now, when post-COVID, the workplace is going to have a different shape. Yes. Surely, with all of that money, you could be building hospitals. You'd still employ a lot of people and not cutting people's homes out and destroying yeah. ancient woodlands. And it, I just, I've been against it since day one, but then I'm a bit of a Luddite about certain things. But... I just find it iniquitous that we're continuing with that project. And I don't understand why all politicians, probably not all, but cross-party politicians seem to support it. Maybe there's something they know that we don't know. But it seems to me to be I doubt it. such a mistake. Well, and, and for, for, yeah. for, for what? 30 minutes faster journey i mean it's not like but it won't be 30 minutes will no. it because the stations are outside of the exactly. city center so i mean so by the time you've yeah. got out to them it'll be the same amount of time and but most people are working from home and will probably continue to work yeah. from home 
Yeah. So what's the point? So what's the point? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the benefits of it are are, are very minimal. So we need to get on to something hugely positive now because we're getting far <laughs> yes. too deep and dark and depressed. That <laughs> what is positive? What green shoots of hope are there? Well, I was going to ask you about the animals because that, that is obviously a positive part of your life. And you've got, um, tell me, tell me about the, 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 um, the main chance sanctuary. Cause that, that sounds like a wonderful project. Okay. Georgie's just opening the door, but she, <laughs> 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 this is my springer. She opens the door about six inches and then stands the other side and then starts to bark because she then thinks she can't open it the rest of the way there she's barking yeah. now yeah, that's my cue i have to go and let her in hold on a second don't worry she's very very vocal in her demands no don't go away georgie come on in thank you now, on, now don't decide that you need to go out in a minute because if you do i'm not letting you <laughs> Except I'll be forced to let her because then she'll bark to be let out. Georgie, come here. You want to have a look at her? We oh, do, yeah. definitely. Where is she? Oh, we saw. I saw a tail. Ah. Oh. Hey, Georgie. Hello. There she is. She's beautiful. Where is she? Oh, there she Hello. is. Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> How old's Georgie? Two and a half. Ah. Oh. Oh, she's obsessed bless. with light and shadows. I think she's actually um, uh, an autistic dog. She's definitely got ADHD. And, uh, oh, interesting. And if you, she's getting better now, but when I used to just gently touch her, she'd, oh, oh that's far too oh, you can't possibly touch me. Um, oh, interesting. If she was wired and she mm. just, if it's a sunny day, she won't chase the birds, she'll chase their shadows and she becomes obsessed. No, she wants to go out. Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Come here, come here, Shh, come here, good girl. Um, it, it's a real affliction, actually, mm. because it, you'll be walking along and she'll suddenly pounce on a patch of ground. Um, and it's the reflection of female watches, watch face, oh, casting okay, a, a, yeah. a bit of light. You open the car door and she tries to attack the ground because the light is moving across the ground. It's a very, very, very extreme prey instinct. Mm. Mm. She is also a gloriously gentle, beautifully, oh, giving creature. I mean, she does very good snuggles. Oh. Well, very dogs good. are. Dogs, oh. dogs, are, dogs are fantastic. Dogs yeah. are absolutely. My other dog, Alfie, they're both rescued. Um, and he's a Staffy Jack Russell, probably Collie Cross. And he's just the most glorious boy. And they get on oh. terribly well and they play for hours, which is lovely. Yeah, he's eight nice. and a half yeah. and she's two and a half so they're just oh they're joyous they're joyous we, we had um we had two basset hounds here who are both very old both passed last year unfortunately oh. but, they, but they were very old but um wonderful they just, they just want they're just pack animals and they just want to be with you yep, and they, absolutely. Don't, they don't need too much just want, want to cuddle or whatever and and they and they're really for people working from home freelance people they're amazing well my they biggest worry when you. covid went, uh, happened was lockdown all these animals who are normally left alone suddenly had their families with them, which was heaven. Yeah. And my biggest worry was when people go back to work, they're gonna have terrible separation anxiety. And luckily, a lot of people are deciding to work from home. So the animals are benefiting, Yeah, you know, I hope anyway. Yeah. And I do yeah. believe that because city centers are now being emptied, I absolutely firmly believe if that trend continues, it's the perfect chance to build affordable housing in what used to be offices. You regenerate Absolutely. a city centre by building 
turning an office into a block of flats. But they can't just be little pods. They've got to be decent flats. And I know that'll take some doing. But surely mm. it should be possible. Like you, you, well, you do think, you hope, yeah. don't you? Sorry, Charles. You hope out of all this, everything madness has happened this year, that, that people's mindsets might be changed, possibly. And we can lead more positive lives and we can you know like you say turning offices into affordable homes we can try and take what's been an awful year and try and find some positivity mm, in it have change, to change. what worries me is i i really miss the thing i miss most apart from seeing my friends um is being able to hug people mm. so you'll meet someone you love and you can't hug them yeah. and you know i worry that young young people are, are learning not to be tactile and as a race we're not very tactile anyway so if you take you know the hugs and the comfort away from greeting people, you know, are we going to be stunted? I don't think we will, but because I think they're probably getting, well, hoping they're getting hugs and stuff at home. But, mm. you know, I miss being able to touch people. Mm. Yeah. I, I, we've certainly been hugging our, well, as a family, been hugging each yeah. other a lot more because we haven't yeah. been able to get that from other people. So It's yeah. lovely, isn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah, it's really important. And that sounds like a very positive ending to the podcast, actually. we found it we found it we found it jenny before we go we always ask our guests for their advice for listeners who might be having a blank moment so i know we kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier you sort of saying about staying calm but is there any other things you can think of that might be useful for anyone who might be having a difficult moment or, or a blank moment um it's it's terribly important to look for moments of beauty I mean, if you're having a black or a blank moment, you have to literally, A, write down what you're grateful for. And some people find it very hard to be grateful for anything because things are so hard. And you know, it's very easy to give advice when I'm sitting in a very nice house, having a nice life. But I have had terrible times in my life. Um, And you have, okay. My biggest word of advice, apart from looking for moments of beauty, which can be just look in somebody's eyes or an animal's eyes or a a flower growing in the pavement um but to go okay this is a load of rubbish that's coming my way i feel so bad but in a year two years three years ten years time i'm going to be grateful for this because i will have learned a lesson if you can somehow turn it round and be grateful for the bad that's happening to you and know that good will come out of it you'll get through it and life goes in waves. It's like the sea. You have ups, and when things are up, they will come down. But when things are down, it will go up again. And you just have to ride the wave and wait. Hmm. Be patient. And this, this is this is for now. Keep no, paddling. For now. Just keep paddling. <laughs> Get yes. on that surfboard and keep paddling. Don't ever stop. Because yeah. tomorrow will come. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you, Jenny. It's been an absolute... Oh, absolute pleasure and a treat to talk to you as i say huge huge fan of your, all your work um i think i messaged you a little while ago to say i was watching appointment with death oh. which, which <laughs> you remarked was <clears throat> not one of your favorite movies no. um, but uh yeah hell of a cast though amazing cut up phenomenal yeah. cast phenomenal cast yeah. bit like a chorus of disapproval i had fun in that film yeah i was playing fair wife swapper and that was an amazing cast as well. Again, not one of my favourite films, but had a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that's you know that that comes across. I think that even though maybe not you know your maybe your be- greatest hour as regards to the movie, but 
I like I love those P Peter Ustinov um Poirots and so yeah I'm always a <laughs> it's always <laughs> great when it's on when it's on TV I always try and watch it absolutely yeah thank you so much honestly it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and um well, the pleasure's all mine and and thank you guys for being so lovely and positive as well oh well for doing oh, what you time. do to lift people up oh thank, thank you. you thank you so much Wow, what an episode, Jenny Seagrove. I mean, not only did we like take take HS two to task, we also found Amazing. out that it's awkward having sex scenes, especially <laughs> if you don't like the leading actor. <laughs> we did, well, yeah, yeah no, we did. Yeah, she was very <laughs> discreet. Yeah, I'll see. If oh, I, I want to find out who those. those? Who those, those bastards three guys are. Can you uh, can you can you text her and ask no. her and then just tell me privately? <laughs> She's such a professional though because like obviously she was never going to say that on air and 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 quite rightly but um she's very honest and I, I appreciated that and what's what my overriding kind of takeaway from that as well aside from the great anecdotes mm. and the wonderful advice was that here is someone who's as she said many times been very blessed with her working life and personal life and feels very lucky and, 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 and lucky to be happy and lucky to be in the situation she is, mm. but clearly very still caring and understanding of the position she's in and, and, and still cares about people, cares about animals. And I think I often wonder sometimes when you get people that are really successful, successful, do you sort of lose that along the way sometimes? And maybe you end up in your own sort of successful bubble, mm. comfortable bubble. Um, and do you actually maybe sort of lose sight a little bit of, sort of the rest of the world? But clearly not. She's actually very, very tuned into that and is clearly a very compassionate person. And that, that for me is always not a surprise. It's like a, it's like a sort of nice, maybe a nice surprise, I guess, takeaway from. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And, and, um, I really and also it was refreshing for someone who's riding feeling in an industry where, person, so, you know, right. looks yeah. and, and, and how you act is very important. She was very open about saying that, you know, she's she's quite happy to let everything hang out and just be her and not worry too much about that kind of stuff. And that, I thought that was quite refreshing as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, certainly if you're mm. someone that works in that industry and you're maybe a younger person, you know, I think it's inspiring to hear someone who is a legend in that game talk like that because we... we we do all we do all spend a lot of our energy each day worrying about that kind of stuff i think even if we're not actors or you know or people who are their job is to be seen um so i think it is inspiring to hear that i think she's just an inspiring person in general and, and she doled out some some really great advice as well with yeah. trying to really, remain calm know, in those know, they keep, moments they keep coming try to remember what you're grateful for and um thank goodness otherwise guest. we'd have to Again. stop making them <laughs> What was just you and me? <laughs> they keep coming. We're very lucky. We're very lucky. They just yeah. wouldn't be as good episodes, would they? I think. <laughs> just you and me, or just people that aren't compassionate and friendly mm. and open. It just wouldn't be this. This podcast wouldn't work if our guests weren't so wonderful. Really? Yeah. Likewise. 
it just wouldn't work so we are like you know jenny talks about being grateful for things i'm eternally grateful for the guests that we come on here not just the stature of them like someone like her but the compassion that they bring with them and the wisdom and the openness yeah absolutely and, um, yeah and i've said it we're before, very lucky to not again, this spend is, an hour in their company uh, project, but to be able to document it and share it with others little uh thing that we've that's turned into a bigger thing obviously has uh been life-changing for me i have to say god we got deep yeah same same absolutely absolutely and we did yeah we always do you went like every week i get a message from someone uh either an old friend or a current friend or a new friend or whatever saying they love the pod like we seem to have listeners in all corners really and um i did a podcast with a friend of mine called jay who uh, is a palace fan and does runs a palace count pound called the eagles beacon he also does a sports show on meridian fm so a little shout out to them uh which Sort of Sussex, oh, East nice. Princeton, Sussex kind of area, and he got me on to chat about Palace and stuff, and then uh, was talking about how much he loved Blank, and I didn't know he listened to it, and he's a really nice guy, and uh, yeah, he was he was very very complimentary about it, so it's just very nice to hear it, you know, from from people. So um, big shout big shout out to Jay, he's a top man. Yeah, thanks Jay, and yeah, it's lovely, and and like you say, we get all these nice messages, and it we've got a really lovely loyal group of listeners mm. and that's that's really lovely with like this little hub mm. of niceness and and happiness and kindness which is which is really well yeah, and, really and needed sweet. at the moment to be honest it's needed we all need it and so you know we feel grateful and, and i see them all interacting with each other on on twitter on our um, in our mentions and stuff and they're all being lovely to each other so i think right now that positivity and kindness is is in 2020 definitely needed so you know we we do see it guys and we do appreciate it so thank you yeah thank you and do keep Indeed. those lovely messages coming we do appreciate reading all of them and we would, might even read them out on Indeed. the pod so yeah please do keep them coming well jim it's the end of yeah. another week <laughs> it is indeed it is indeed um have a... it literally is because we, we we always rec- we generally record on a friday yeah. so people it this is, is well, the end of the week you're the sort of person that counts the start of your week on a monday then you still got two days to go well let's talk about working week oh, okay. well i meant working yeah, yeah. week why did I say that? Oh, I yeah. don't know why I said that. No. <laughs> Me neither. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. Our uh, handle oh, is... Oh, yeah, you can. Um, at Blank Pod. We're on the Instagram and the, and the Facebook. And the Twitter. Is, and the, and the Twitter. Yeah. Do we need to get any more platforms? Should we start like a TikTok account or something? Or... I don't know. I don't... I wouldn't know. Have you got TikTok? I did. I got I got my handle, uh, which is the same as other ones. Actually, in daily comedy, um, just in case, and I did a few, but um, it's just it's it's another thing to worry about. That the the TikTok, same with when Vine was around. We are really stretching this episode out. I mean, people have stopped listening. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but the the with Vine, the people that were good at Vine, people that are good at TikTok, are people that like are uploading all the time and commit to it. And there's there's some amazing people on TikTok. I mean, there's some absolute trash, but there's some amazing people doing some really funny, poignant political stuff. Well, can I just you say, have, I mean, you have to be able to do it constantly. Sarah Cooper, right? I mean, oh, she's. I, yeah. I, I mean, the Trump impression or the Trump, the Trump she does lip the, sync. I mean, lip sync. She right, yeah. had. She's like she hosted Kimmel, for goodness sake. She's gone from really. She's gone from like a, a, a fantastic stand-up who who had a, a fairly sizable following to global megastar. Yeah, and that, and that's down yeah. to TikTok. Indeed, but her place. She's good. To commit yourself to it, and yeah, yeah. well, yeah, and it, and it will amplify those good people, but. I think you have to be 
consistent. I yeah, guess, I, I, it scares me TikTok a little bit. I do think it's uh, more of a young person's thing. <laughs> like Snapchat. I never got on with Snapchat. Um, and I think, yeah. And like you say, it's another platform to worry about. I mean, we've already got Twitter, Instagram, Plenty. Facebook. Do you mind? Well, I have a conversation last night. God, this is going to be a long pod. Uh, with uh, my <laughs> wife after watching that social dilemma. Yeah. Um, documentary and actually i don't spend that much time on facebook or instagram twitter's I, the one i spend the most I, time I like instagram i like instagram i i, I find it kinder i find it a kinder community i get a lot i've got quite i've had a youtube channel which is another platform to worry about where i do comedy football songs so if anyone is still listening to this episode one fair play yeah, thank you Why are you you're still hardcore <laughs> two if you're into football comedy then do check out my youtube channel um, at Jim Daily Comedy, and but I, it's mostly young people that listen to that, mm. sort of young lads, sort of teenage lads, and they're all on Instagram. And I get messages every day saying, oh, that's "Love nice. your channel." I never get trolled. I never get trolled. And if I do get trolled, it's a Brighton fan yeah, with, with a bit of banter about Palace. And then normally they say, "By the way, love the channel." Yeah. So it, I find it to be a very supportive, that's lovely community, um, which is nice. But I find Twitter a, a bit more. Twitter's a bit like sort of poking the hornet's nest. It's a bit, a bit more combative. Really isn't careful. It? Combative's probably yes. the right word. To yes, use. that's a good word. And Facebook, I don't go on. I go on. <laughs> this is embarrassing. And again, anyone that's still listening, here's a little uh, insight into my life. I go on Facebook. I'd say once a year, and that is <laughs> uh, on the day before my birthday. I turn my wall from private to public so that people can leave the, <laughs> the next day, and then it goes back to being private on June first. Nice. So. <laughs> nice, nicely done. Nicely but done, sir. Yeah, well, people like to leave messages. Do, nice yeah, to receive yeah. them, you know. And if I'm on, I'll at someone else's birthday. I'll leave them a message. But other than that, I don't. I just don't go on Facebook. It seems uh, to be for parents and page. grandparents now. Facebook. I guess so. I don't. I mean, I, I'm a parent, and I no, but I mean, oh, not I mean, of, not of a kid who's our on Facebook. age yeah, parents. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Retired but, parents but, and very ancient I, grandparents. But I, I wonder if. Uh, <laughs> by the time Maria's old enough to be on Facebook, will her generation be on Facebook? They might be not. They might be more on Instagram or more on different platforms. Yeah, I don't think Facebook will last. No. Uh, it's, 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 Facebook seems to be sort of eating itself from the mm. inside out. And, and it's, um, I'm going to go watch that documentary actually because I think I will find it interesting. Yeah, you might not even want to open your private settings <laughs> on your birthday after you Oh, really? It. Really? Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. on that light note, um, <laughs> thank you for still follow us on Facebook. Thank you for listening to this eight-hour podcast. Um, <laughs> we've really appreciated your time. And uh, Giles, this is why we don't do just solo. <laughs> it's just waffling it's on. Not about interesting. <laughs> um, hopefully, people there are uh, interesting. Do you know what? Tweet us if you listen to the whole thing right to the end. Please do tweet us, and uh, we'd love to hear from those who. Should we Hardcore. say a special word now? Should we say a special word that people can Yeah, that's us a good idea. If, they, if they're what, still what, what here. What word should we use? That word is... i tell you what the word is, mm. right? That word is fandangle. And the reason I'm going to say fandangle is because on the recent Neighbours uh, plot, mm. one of the characters, it, uh, <laughs> there's an app called Fandangle. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a takeoff of OnlyFans or something. Right. And he's posting like saucy photos of <laughs> <laughs> to make money or something. Oh. Well, he's, he's a tattooist and he's posting photos of tattoos like shows. Oh, his mate, Fandangle. Like. Anyway, and it's called Fandangle, mate. And it's, <laughs> so anyway, that just j- jumped into mind. Perfect. There, so hashtag tweet us Fandangle. Ha- hashtag. hashtag Fandangle. If you've listened all the way through to the end, and then we of know this you're podcast. Thank you. Uh, well, on that note, we should say goodbye. 
and yeah. uh, see you again next week on the Black Podcast. Bye. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.